We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start. Start winning. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in X's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bill's Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, The Buffalo Bills have once again won on Thanksgiving and are back on top of the AFC East. Chris, this is the first time we've ever recorded on a Friday. No, it's not. What was the first? I don't know. Somebody in draft Twitter sphere did Hmm. not decide to come on with us. But they basically ghosted us. That wasn't a Friday. That was definitely a Friday. That's hilarious. That was a Friday. That's hilarious. Getting well, ghosted on a Friday by somebody in draft Twitter. But I liked recording on a Friday because I'm having a beer. Look at that. Cheers. Cheers to the Buffalo Bills being back in first place. And for the first place in the AFC East, they won on Thanksgiving. I mean, this is Chris is a time for celebration. Right? And and ultimately, Thanksgiving. Arguably your favorite holiday. Yeah. I had a, I had a good time. How, how did the Thanksgiving festivities the, go? The whiskey was a hit with everyone. That's, so describe you, to our listeners you what had you it. did. I did. You had it last night. The uh, Just took a bottle of Irish whiskey, poured it into a jar, sealed it with apples. Not just any whiskey. Teelings. 
Yeah, Irish whiskey. I think that's that's very. It was smooth, smoother than I expected. Then I put apples in it, and then uh, one and a half cinnamon sticks, and an ounce and a half of maple syrup, and waited seven days, and then opened it, filtered it out, put it back in the bottle, and served it on Thanksgiving. A lot of people had it; it was delicious. And I brought it over to your place for the game, and you had it. What did you do with the apples? Oh, we made like an apple turnover. Did you get drunk off an apple turnover this week? No. We had, <laughs> I didn't, like, we were using like a pie crust, so I guess it was like too thin, because when we filled all the apples oh. in and folded it over, when you put it in the oven, it eventually burst and all the, the goodness uh, gooed, out, gooed out onto the, the pan. Ah, that's unfortunate. Well, trial and error, we'll have to try one again. See, we all have different weird food things that, like, our families do. I, I've seen, Chris, it's been all the rage on Twitter, people arguing over food and what they eat, what they don't eat. Um, mine's turkey neck and turkey liver. Yeah, you take that roasted turkey neck and turkey liver, maybe some giblets. You dust them with a little Beaumont, maybe a little salt and pepper. Hell yeah. That's good chewing right there. I <laughs> Is that just a North Collins thing? It probably is. That's like the equivalent of like giving your dog a, like a chicken bone. You just give <laughs> you a turkey neck and you just gnaw on it for an entire night. Here's here's one of my favorite things about the Thanksgiving holiday that I feel like doesn't happen anywhere else. I don't know. Now, Chris, you just articulated about how you have you brought a bottle of liquor. You know, my dad showed up with a bunch of booze at the Thanksgiving. We all everybody. I feel like this doesn't happen during Christmas. It doesn't happen during Easter. But for some reason, Thanksgiving is the holiday where someone at some point in every single day, it doesn't matter what group of family members you're hanging out with, says something just outrageous, something fucking wild. What was the craziest thing you heard this Thanksgiving, Chris? Uh, well, I... There's always an awkward conversation or just a conversation. You're like, I can't believe this is happening. Not really. I mean, just like basic stuff that would start a fight right now, which would be like politics and COVID. But outside of outside of that, there was really nothing. And why doesn't that ever come up? Why does it only happen during Thanksgiving? I don't know. Well, it's I, a weird I, dynamic. Well, I said last week that last year I planted a little seed and I watched my girlfriend and her dad yell at each other at the dinner table, <laughs> which was phenomenal. They politically don't align, huh? Correct. No. Mine... It's one of the funnier things I've ever heard. Uh, my brother Luke, he's 24 years old. He thinks he knows everything. And he might have had some champagne at brunch earlier. And he just outrightly declared that he would rather cut his legs off than get married. Now, Chris, I feel like that's... <laughs> you, 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 you follow that doctrine, right? I can see it. And I can see where he's coming from. And so I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You would literally rather be Lieutenant Dan than be betrothed. Well, what are you talking about? And he decided not only to say it, but then to double down on it and defend it. He would rather be a, a, a handicap than be married and legally obligated to a woman. And I'm like, oh, man. That's the new norm. Like, I'm just looking at this going, man, I remember when I was 24. <laughs> I remember when I was 24 and thought I knew everything. It's hilarious. I want to know, because everybody has one of these just wild conversations that you didn't think you'd be having on Thanksgiving. 
I want you to tweet at us at Rock Pile Report because here's the thing. It's Wise Guys Toys for Tots. Their annual drive, it starts this week. You show up at Wise Guys with a $15 toy, a toy about $15 value. They'll give you a voucher right then and there for a free pizza for every toy you have in your bag. It's It all goes to benefit the Genesis Center in South Buffalo, which is their local. You know, they run a food pantry. They offer community services. They do, they do a lot of things. I want to hear from you guys. Tweet us the craziest thing you hear this Thanksgiving from a member of your family. And whoever makes me laugh the hardest is going to get one of my free pizza certificates. And I encourage you that if you're in the area, swing down and make your own donation. If not because you like doing things for disadvantaged families in the Western New York area, do it because you're getting one of the best pizzas the Buffalo area has to offer for about 15 bucks. That's a deal, right? It's a win-win. Yeah. You create a little good karma, do something good for the community. And also, oh, by the way, you're getting something out of it for yourself. You know, <laughs> I, I feel like that's calories, so- calories. <laughs> Guys, make sure you go down and support it. It's a great time. But yeah, tweet us at Rock Bell Report. Craziest thing you heard this Thanksgiving. It, it might win you some free pizza. Now, Chris, we got to recap this game and it's hard a couple hours later. Because I feel like I'm still all emotions about this. Yeah, we are less trying to find a place to land. We are less than 24 hours after the game ended, which is weird. We don't usually record like this. I, I don't know, but we're going to anyway. We're going to dive right into this. I'm going to crack a fresh one as we talk about our week 12 recap. The Buffalo Bills 31, the Saints six. Yeah. Stats of the game. Trevor Simeon, 17 to 29, 58%, 163 yards, one touchdown, one interception, two sacks, and a 71.5 rating. Josh Allen, 23 of 38, 82% completion percentage, which is a season high. 260 yards, four touchdowns, two picks, two sacks, a 115.2 passer rating. Stephon Diggs led all wide receivers with targets. Nine targets, seven receptions, 74 yards, and one ridiculous touchdown. 100% completion percentage, less than 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. Saints rushing offense, 1.8 yards per carry. That's the least given up by a Bills defense since 2003. Bills rushing averaged 0.5 yards rushing on second and long. Six first down runs of two yards or less. Annette Oliver, six pressures, two hits, two hurries, one sack, season highs in all categories. Now, Chris, this was the first game you and I got to watch together all season long in its entirety. Yeah, it was fun. It was just you and me, your wife and Jack for a little bit. It's different when you watch a game with me and there's nobody else around, right? Yeah. It's like and uh, you made a you made a comment about this, and I I want to I want to talk to you about it on air. All right, well I don't even remember the comment. So you essentially, I was like, see, this is nice. I'm not yelling. I'm not gesticulating wildly at anyone. I haven't thrown anything, and you were like, oh no, that's just because there's nobody here, and you're doing it to put on a show. And I said, no, it has everything to do with the fact that the Buffalo Bills are winning. <laughs> Yeah. To which Larissa said, Chris, you have no idea what happens when no one else is here. I'm surprised you hung out all the way to the end of that game. Like, 
even when it was when it was Mitch Trubisky time. Which were you yeah, well, a little bit? Were, were you as pissed as me when they didn't let him throw? No, doesn't matter. But when, what, why is he here then? <laughs> to be a backup. He is being a backup. He's just not getting a chance to throw the football or be a quarterback. We don't want our backups to throw the ball. Uh, I've got a lot of. I, I had a lot of gripes coming out of this game. It, it was a weird one for me. Now, Chris, you showed up. I think I put out a pretty classy bourbon spread. You had Bullet Rye, you had Basil Hayden, and then you had the whiskey whiskey from uh, Jacob. From Jake. In uh, Virginia. Tell, tell me. There's, it had a very nice hint of smoke in the back end. It's Tell me that the Virginia port, it's the port ca- cask finished Virginia Distilling Company, I believe it is. Yeah. That might be one of the finest whiskeys I've ever had. I'm not usually a blended scotch whiskey guy. That is delicious. I refuse to even put, I won't put ice, no water. I, I like it straight, which is wild considering I don't like, I'm not a huge scotch fan. And I generally speaking, don't drink blends. I usually drink bourbon. That stuff is amazing. You even liked it. I was surprised by that. Yeah, just, like I, like, I like the smoke, smoky finish on the back end was not bad at all. I might have put an ice cube in it. Again, just I don't know. I just have a thing with like, bur- I mean, I'm not a fan of drinking like warm bourbon. Like, let's chill it a little. Ah, oh, warm, smooth, a little bit of mean. Just no, ah, that's bourbon's the best. And I'll tell you, you you were the one who pointed it out to me. It's crazy to me when we're sitting here at my house quietly because it's just the two of us watching a game of football. You can hear the Bills fans throughout the entire broadcast. Oh yeah, toward especially towards the end when all the Saints fans left, you can, I can <laughs> faintly hear uh, the uh, what, who's it the White Stripes Seven Nation Army. Mm-hmm. I can faintly hear that in the background, and then I heard a lot of "Hey." <laughs> it just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I mean, some of that might have been the whiskey, but ah. It's yeah. just, it's just good seeing your team so well represented by traveling fans on the road. I don't know of another fan base that travels as well as we do. No. I don't think there is one. I retweeted a video of somebody being interviewed in New Orleans and they were like, This is worse than when, when the Cowboys come eh. which is saying something because they're quote unquote America's team. Also, they're like an hour or two away. You could drive. Yeah, it's only a couple hours from yeah. from Dallas to New Orleans. We literally flooded them. We flooded their airports. We sank them. It's hilarious. <sighs> so if we're talking about the action on the football field itself, Chris, because we can't just bask in the glow of what we, I. It's one of those weird moments where you and I, like, we're friend, we're frenemies. I love you like a brother, and also sometimes I want to put you in a headlock and shave your head. Like just, I just want to shave, not even your whole head. Just I want to shave a patch out of that stupid haircut of yours. No, you can't can't touch my mohawk at all. <laughs> but last night was just a reminder of just why you're one of my better friends. I love it. But if we're talking about the game itself, different looking roster. That was the first thing that jumped out to me was the moves that this team made. Some of them were. Subtle. Some of them were pretty big. I mean, it starts with the benching of Isaiah McKenzie. 
Yeah, apparently he took it in stride. Get uh, Stevenson out there on the on the punt return and kick returns. That, I mean, McKenzie gets benched, tweets some cryptic things ahead of the game, but kind of made a jo- made light of it. But like, look, hey, I'm benched. You're seeing Marcus Stevenson being active for the first time all season, and they didn't even wait. Like, this kid isn't just wet behind the ears. He's dripping wet. He has yet to play in an NFL game. And you say, all right, Rook. An actual. Get out there. Actual NFL. An actual meaningful NFL game. And they say, all right, Rook, get out there. Get out there and don't screw this up. And for what it's worth, he responded. He averaged 9.8 yards per return on punts with a with an 18-yard one being his longest. When you think about the value of that to a, a football game as a whole, that means that on five occasions, in a game where the Bills offense was playing small ball and kind of thriving off short passes, it shaved a first down off of what the offense was going to have to accomplish to get down the field on five different drives. Like that's it, that that's valuable, Chris. They also benched Moss for Breda. That was sort of significant for me. Like I, there was a part of me that, like last week, we talked about this—a three running back rotation because I think that. And I think that some of this was felt. I think Zach, Zach Moss is statistically our best pass-blocking running back. Well, when you look at what we did yesterday, they decided to go with Breda and Singletary. And you saw Josh Allen under fire quite a bit. It It, it reached a point... It's it, it's it's one of those things where you say, okay, I understand what you did here. You see Matt Breda, he's a faster player, He's and you saw him spark. I mean, how many times did you see a run and you go, there it is. That's a six-yard run that wouldn't have happened with Singletary in this moment. Because in order to get to the spot he got to, you just had to have speed, and neither one of them have it. Yet at the same time, there were so many moments where I look and I watch Josh Allen being under duress in the pocket, and I go, man, I wish we had a pass blocking back in there. <laughs> I wish we had anybody who could pass protect well. It just didn't materialize. What do you think about the shift away from Moss to Breda? I mean, our running back room, I think they offer like all different things. Like Zach Moss is, can pass block. He's definitely north-south runner then you have Breda, which is like pure speed and then you have singletary who's not fast but he's he's stocky and has contact balance there are a handful of times where he gets hit and you're like oh he's going down and then he gets another five yards that they just offer all these different things as a running back and you know i you know what i i I think i'm with most of bill's mafia when it's like, I want to see more of Matt Breda. No, I mean, Singletary, to, to his credit, had a couple really nice runs. I mean, he had an 11-yarder on first down. He gets a 15-yarder, all, I think, the next play. I don't know. He ripped off a couple, especially in the second half when we were like starting to assert ourselves. We said, okay, we need to crack this game open. Singletary was there. He had some good plays. I mean, he he was bad in the first half. That's something that I think needs to be addressed. All of his runs in the first half came on first and second down. Two yards, one yard, two yards, two yards. What, he caught a pass for four yards. Like That's 
Chris, that's terrible. He had four touches, never gained more than one or two yards, and set up some really ugly plays in the process. And one of which we're going to talk about here with our guests in a little bit. But you see that and you say, okay, he makes some splash plays. 11 yards here, 15 yards here. And you say, okay, that's Devin Singletary. Hooray. And then you watch him go off left tackle for a five-yard loss for no game for two yards on first down, for three yards on second down. I think we have a real problem when it comes to that group. There's just nobody you can rely on to actually make an, a long impact. I mean, Breda did get the touchdown, which, again, to his credit, it tell, that's not a play Moss would have been able to make. Moss doesn't have the speed to rip off the, the touchdown that Breda did. But... Does that mean that Breda, because you look at the other places he struggles, and I mean, maybe some of it will come over time if he gets more snaps. But I don't know. I just, I think that this is something this coaching staff really has to drill into over the next week or two and figure out because Singletary, to your point, gives you a little bit of everything. But sometimes it's bad for long stretches, and that sucks because it's really hampering our offense. Meanwhile, Breda can give you some spark, but also he's not perfect. I mean, he only finished with, what, 40, 44 rushing yards? Something like that. I mean, it's just, I haven't seen a difference from last year, even though in the offseason we were told, hey, our running game's going to be different this year. Oh, really? How's that? The only difference between last year and this year is Matt Breda's here. You signed, you brought back all of the offensive linemen. You added a couple in the draft, but there wasn't any significant changes to the to the line or the running back room. So, I mean, just to, for me, my eye test as a casual fan is nothing's really changed in the run game. Breda had 26 yards rushing. He caught a couple of passes for 29 yards, one of them going for a touchdown. That's the play. Zach Moss probably doesn't make that play because he doesn't have the speed, but ultimately... It's like, okay, so you have a bunch of Swiss Army knives for specific... You have a Swiss Army knife at running back. But unfortunately, you don't have one back who you can trust for three consecutive downs. That's a problem. And this team is still trying to figure out how to roll those dice properly. And with this offensive line, it's not... I don't know. I just I, I feel like the next couple of weeks are going to be really crucial to figuring out how we go into the playoffs with this type of a running back room vernon butler got benched for brandon bryant eli wonk and koyu and i don't know naga naga probably not gonna play here very long but we know you don't know how to pronounce names but you got benched for him i mean vernon butler got called up in the media for being what i like to refer to as big for no reason last week just playing patty cake with the in the offensive line so it's not a shock. I mean, the response from the team was to replace him with this combination of Brandon Bryant and Eli. Again, call in if you know how to pronounce the fuck out of this last name. But these guys are practice squad players. Making a fraction of Vernon Butler's salary, which is enraging to me. And each of them played about 25% of the team's snacks to defensive tackle. What I saw was interesting from Bryant. He finishes our third best defensive lineman against the run, generated two pressures and a quarterback hit of his own. That's more than we saw at a Butler last week at all. It's more than we've seen at a Butler maybe ever outside of that Pittsburgh Steelers game last year. I, 
Chris, what is Vernon Butler doing here? Just taking up space. Like him, him on the defensive line is the equivalent to what Jamal Adams is doing on the back end for Seattle. Just a bunch of nothing. You're just there. You're here. You're making a bunch of money, but you're it doesn't useless. amount to much. Correct. All of these moves felt to me like a referendum on last week's performance, but nobody should be surprised by that. I mean, McDermott's the coach who benched Tyrod Taylor for Nathan Peterman. Remember? I remember that. I'm sure you... Pepper, I was alive. Pepper's I was, Farm remembers. I was alive. <laughs> I kind of wished I wasn't during that Peterman stretch. There was there was times I was channeling the wedding singer, just, somebody kill me! <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was me. <laughs> I think probably after the uh, Chicago Bears game. Yeah, that's probably where that really sunk in. Um, yeah, this is a team that... And a head coach who've shown that they're not afraid to make moves, to shuffle the deck at certain positions and just try to make something happen when they need a spark. I mean, at this point, I'm shocked he hasn't made more wholesale changes. It's going to be interesting to see how they massage this roster going forward and how the team responds by almost how they respond by comparison, how these players really get behind the changes that are coming. But at least we can all agree it's good to see them try something instead of just banging their heads at the fucking wall over and over again. I mean, Chris, this dynamic that, hey, this sucks. We see things that suck. It started with Spencer Brown. And this game might have been the most changes in a single game. But this process started with Spencer Brown. When you consider, okay, we just paid Daryl Williams a fat contract to be our right tackle. There's a lot of football teams that would have stood by that. I mean, what? Rex Ryan probably would have stood by that. Remember when, hey, we have... Actually, no. Maybe he wouldn't have. Because do you remember when the big hubbub with him and Mario Williams was that he was asking Mario Williams to drop into coverage? Oh, yeah, I remember that. And it was a huge deal. And Rex Ryan was like, no, listen, what we're tr- we're trying to use you as a rush linebacker, and it's not working. So you need to start – or we're trying to use you as a defensive lineman. It's not working. Then you need to start doing something different. We're going to drop Marcel Darius into coverage. Why? Because I think that we need something else. He tried different things technique-wise, but he didn't bench the player. Probably because you can't at that point. This is the first time I've seen a coach just go, listen, you're a bit player. Yeah, Vernon Butler, we're paying you like a starter. You're not. You're a bit player. Get out of here. Zach Moss, we drafted you in the third round. This guy was a a free agent signing off the scrap heap. Guess what? He's in. You're out. Why? Because you sucked last week. It's, It's interesting to watch him work that process. And I'm I'm really interested in this Brandon Bryant kid. I want to see this guy perform now. I want to see how they utilize him going forward and see if it's, I don't know, see if it's something that they're just doing as kind of like a, hey, we're going to put you guys in the doghouse and then we're going to show up. Or if it's something that they're genuinely going to continue tinkering with this roster right up until playoff time to try to get it as right as they possibly can. As right as anybody can. (laughs) It's, I don't know. And there was a couple performances, Chris, that I think individual performances that we really have to talk about before we bring in tonight's guest. And that's Diggs and Oliver. 
one on defense, one on offense. I mean, if Josh Allen, we, we watched him win the turkey leg, but I'll tell you what, you could have given it to either one of those guys. I mean, Oliver has a career. No- he loves Thanksgiving. Do you remember the last Thanksgiving game? I do. Okay. Most, most of it was Josh Allen because of the fourth and one play inside the Dallas territory where he dropped the snap and then picked up the first down because he's a savage. Okay. So out of that game, one of the things I remember is that the Buffalo Bills were going up against We were kind of getting fed to us early on, the first couple drives by the Dallas Cowboys. And our defense was a little, eh, things weren't working the way we wanted them to. And then the, the Dallas Cowboys, I, I want to say it was Connor McGovern, but they had an interior offensive lineman go down. And when he went down, they brought in Xavier Suafilo, who's been a career backup, career backup in the NFL. Now, Ed Oliver's a young player, but this guy has never been a starter that anybody really trusted to be one on their football team. And it was that moment that Ed Oliver just kind of took the game over and just started started whipping a whole lot of ass. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin, just a whole lot of ass in the middle of that Cowboys offensive line. Well, it was that from Jump Street all night last night. Ed Oliver was all over these guys. It's It was impressive to see how often he was flashing in the backfield, how often he was pressuring the quarterback. And I mean, Trevor Simeon... <laughs> He didn't he didn't do himself many favors. I mean, when you look at it, he was they were talking about in the broadcast. He was dropping back in his pass sets. Uh, What was it? Uh, Let me see. I think I have the number written down here somewhere. Let me check my notes. Trevor Simeon in his pass sets. He was dropping back nine point five yards per pass. On every passing attempt, he was dropping back almost 10 full yards. <laughs> like, I I get it. Ed Oliver scares you. So you're going to try to get as far away from our defensive tackles who are actually doing their job. And But instead, you're getting too far out for these backup tackles to protect you. And so then the pressure comes and you're forced to step up. But wait a minute. Guess who's there? It's Ed Oliver. It's crazy to me that Ed Oliver was able to ruin so much, so much of what they were trying to do on offense. It it really was meaningful. You saw it throughout the entire game. And then you saw, that, I mean, Chris, yards per carry numbers, 1.8 yards per carry. We shredded their offensive line as a whole. The running backs didn't have a whole lot of juice, but how many times... How many times have decent running backs? I feel like in order to, even with bad running backs, the Buffalo Bills in 2018, what would he have? Marcus Murphy. Um, it was when LaShawn McCoy sat out. Yeah, I remember that. We had uh, Keith Ford. Seems like a name. No, that doesn't ring a bell. Something Ford. I don't know. And Marcus Murphy, because I remember I wanted him to be, I wanted to get a RoboCop jersey with his number on it. Well, that didn't pan out. But even they were getting more than 1.8 yards per carry. Even not NFL players can get that. So that's a testament to how well our front seven just dominated their offensive line. Mind you, they were injured. 
But that's exactly how you should treat an injured team. And it's telling that of all the great defensive lines the Buffalo Bills have had over the last 10, 20 years, you haven't seen a performance from our front seven like that since 2003. They were really out there playing some top-notch football, which is great. And then on the other side of the ball, Stephon Diggs. I mean, it's just, it's one of those situations where when you came into this game and you decided that you were going to eschew the deep passing game and you were going to try to throw short passes and you were going to dink and dunk and take advantage of the fact that the Saints are a very aggressive football team. They're going to blitz. They're going to do different things. Hey, we're going to throw a lot of short stuff and we trust Josh Allen to complete it. You want a wide receiver like Stephon Diggs, don't you, Chris? Yeah, we need that. Who's going to catch everything under 10 yards and potentially turn it into an electric play? That touchdown catch of his was... I don't even know... (laughs) Chris, scroll up. Oh, See, you know, we're in our new studio, and I have a giant TV in front of me. Chris, how big is this TV? I think it's 43 inches. And he's scrolling Twitter on it, and it's Michael Scott throwing the basketball during their warehouse game across the thing, and it just says Saints punter on the fake. (laughs) God, I love it. I love this. Chris, I love this studio. I love you, and I love the fact that we have Stephon Diggs on our football team. Tell me he's not the cure for what ails you on offense. You're having a bad stretch. You know, remember, yeah. Remember when he Just joked? get him the ball. Remember when Josh joked this past week? Kind of joked, but not really, where he was like, hey, maybe I need to start forcing the ball to Diggs. That's exactly what they did. And it worked. It worked. It got the offense moving. It scored us points. That touchdown that he scored while being while being pretty closely covered, he ran that route like a point guard would run a play in basketball. It's, it reminded me almost of Stevie Johnson, how he used to work people just with footwork, not even speed, not athleticism, just pure footwork and just selling the fake. It's out of control. Both of those guys stood out so much last night. And I'm, I'm so happy to have them on our football team. I just, but there's a lot of things I don't feel good about. I still have a lot of problems coming out of that. I I just I I wonder what lies ahead of us and I think back to what happened to me after this game cuz Chris you left. You left me alone to my own devices after the game? Yes. That's not my problem. Yeah, exactly. That's no. your wife's problem you, and you, you and Jax. You literally grabbed your shit and ran when the game was over. Yeah. Did you know I was still angry when you left? Probably. You're angry all the time. We could have a shutout win. And you'd be angry. You're angry all of the time. It is in your DNA. So, I I tried to dabble in something else, you know, which we're going to get into here in a second with our guest. And instead, I realized I was too frustrated to even listen to that. So instead, I I I pulled out the Slipknot Iowa album and listened to that from start to finish. And then I settled in. And listen to the Cover One Post Game Show on YouTube. Uh, here to tell you, you know, I'm not even going to botch this up anymore. Let's just get to tonight's guest because he's kind of 
He's someone I lean on in some dark moments when it comes to being a Bills fan, and I feel like a lot of you do too. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But you guys know me, all right? Chris, it's... Chris... Last night, the Bills win, and you're walking out of my house, and I'm frustrated, right? Yeah. How much did that piss you off? I mean, you're always frustrated, even if we win. <laughs> so, obviously, I mean, I'm a manic human being, and I'm, I'm emotional, especially when there's bourbon involved. So, I reached out to someone to try to reel me back in. And they've joined us tonight to try to talk about this in an open forum kind of conversation. Mr. Greg Thompson from the Cover One Podcast. How are you, sir? Doing well, doing well, trying to make my own way back from recovery. Uh, but I, I think I enjoyed last night slightly more than you did, but it, it wasn't perfect. So we'll, we'll get into that. Listen, I had a blast. I was having a great time. The problem is, is and I, maybe it's just who I am as a person. I go back and forth. You never know what you're going to get with me. Sometimes it could be the worst situation, and I can find a silver lining in it. Other times, it could be a phenomenal situation, and all I can focus on is a handful of things that are stuck in my craw, and I can't move past them. And that's where our conversation last night came in. Now, for those of you tuning in who have no idea, you've never listened to Cover One, first of all, you're crazy. Uh, Greg Thompson, host of the Cover One Bills podcast, they do a fantastic show immediately following every game, which I kind of needed last night. He's a ribeye connoisseur, and he's somebody that I owe drinks to whenever I see him, because... It's like whenever I'm over here having my own personal crying game moment, Greg's always gracious enough to be around. And I I don't know, it's like I phrased it last night to you. I needed you to be my Gene Kranz and reel me like Apollo 13. You needed to reel me back in, Houston. And (laughs) you invited me to watch your show. What's it like having a friend who's just this manic lunatic at 11 o'clock at night after a Bills game? It it actually really helps kind of put guardrails on my emotions, because when I get frustrated, I'm like, well, at least, you know, I'm not reacting like Drew did. So it's (laughs) it's not all that bad. Um, But, you know, it's it's still healthy to see that I have opposite homers in my life who are just sunshine, rainbow and lollipops all the time. I'm like, yeah. There's still things I'd like to be better after last night. I'm usually pretty even keeled. I don't get way overboard. I lean optimistic. I usually find, you know, 
reason to be able to tell myself, Hey, it's going to be all right. This is going to work out the way I think it's going to. Um, but it's healthy to experience all the human emotions. <laughs> and I think that, uh, th- that's a good way to see it is that, you know, there, there's reason to be concerned sometimes. And, and you, uh, certainly refresh that in me, <laughs> Chris, it's hilarious. What would Drew do? Except it's as a cautionary tale, not as like something that's supposed to be inspirational or uh, to push you to greatness. That's hilarious. So in in the aftermath of this game, there's a lot of narratives bouncing around in both mine and some of our fan bases, especially some of the more manic members of them that I happen to appeal to, just bouncing around in our heads that could probably use a little more nuance applied to them and maybe a little bit, a little bit of additional insight in regards to how much weight these thoughts actually carry. And so I kind of want to run a few of them by you, and I just want to get your thoughts on them. The first one, and this is the one I was chewing Chris's ear off, on, even in the second half when the team did make a rebound, and what was it, Chris? Uh, it was 10 nothing at halftime, and the I team so. went on to score 21 more points. Yeah. Um, the, Brian Dable, to me, his play calling, it's just, I, I feel like we're in trouble here. I feel like he's stuck in something of a rut. And one of the things that bothers me about it is that it just, I, in my head, this is where I go. I think to myself, the Rams in 2018. The Rams in 2018 put out this stellar offense that carries them all the way to a Super Bowl. And then the following season, they don't change a ton and along with it, you see teams catch up to them. Now, obviously, they had some personnel issues and some other things happen, and they don't they don't even make the playoffs the following year, and their offense isn't anywhere near as dynamic because they really didn't change enough to stay ahead of defensive coordinators. And it took them a whole season to get back to fielding a dynamic enough offense to change that. I feel like Dable might be in that kind of year two, Sean McVay kind of a rut. Do you agree or disagree with that line of thinking? Um, I, I don't think it's crazy to be concerned about are they too stuck in what was successful, not pivoting, not adjusting enough. I think that obviously being in a position where they're scoring as many or more points and we're just frustrated it's not as efficient or not doesn't look as easy as it did last year is a good problem to have. That means that I don't think you're going to see that level of a rut where they missed the playoffs and had to come to the realization they didn't have the personnel to pull off the system they had. And then you saw the changes they've made since then trading off golf and things like that. Um, So I think it's probably in between, but there's enough of it there where Dable is clearly kind of grasping at different things here, trying to figure out, okay, what can we just stick to? How can we still use Diggs as the weapon that he is, but not lean into it too much? How do we set Josh up to be able to play disciplined, go through his progressions, not always these deep strike uh, long shots that, you know, their teams are trying to take away with this cover two shell. I think that it's a healthy mix of it there where he has not found the right notes all the time but the fact that we're so clipping along at you know 30 points a game means it's it's probably not quite as bad as we think it is it's just not as easy as we want it to look we want it to look you know flawless and fluid and moving and there there are clunky moments in these games yesterday being a perfect example we're frustrated they scored 31 points they scored four touchdowns like and 
right? It ain't that bad. And, well, and that's, uh, and but, that's the problem. oh, man, there were moments where I was mad and they didn't score a touchdown every time they drove down the field, and that makes me angry. Well, and this is, I guess, where – because, like, and Chris, you got to give me some credit here. Some of my points are pretty valid. Like, when we're talking about – Maybe example, 48 hours later. Yeah. Not during the game. No, during the game, I come across like a lunatic. I understand that. It was uh, funny. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark Smith actually tweeted out during the game. He goes, this is games like he goes, this is why I watch games like the game. He's like, I'm yelling and my wife is I'm yelling at the TV. My wife is mad at me. This is why I watch games with Drew, because he does all the yelling for everyone. Like this. <laughs> and, and I understand that because there was like there, there was one drive in particular that really just set me off. It's in the first quarter. We watch a drive get killed because there's this terrible screenplay called from just the design, the execution, everything about it stinks. But when you look at it, you're throwing a screen pass to the side of the field where Dawson, it's a quick screen to the side of the field to the right, right hash where Dawson Knox is. And Knox is supposed to be your lead block on that. Nothing about, he's come a long way as a pass catcher. He's having an amazing season. I mean, he's one of the better tight ends in football right now in terms of the just consistency that he's playing with, the plays he's able to make every game. But blocking is not, it's still not something he's great at. So to know that you tasked him with being the tip of the spear on this play and you just watch it blow up in everybody's face, it's like, did you did you run this in practice? Because you, I almost feel like you couldn't have because you would have seen that that's not the guy that you want running that. Give me a Sweeney. Get a Reggie Gilliam out there. Get somebody. But that was a terrible play design, and when it fails and we end up losing three yards because he just whiffs on his block, you lose three yards, now the drive's over and you're punting. It's just... It's that type of stuff that makes me question. It's like, obviously, he is grasping at a lot of different things. You see some different concepts. Like, this game, in general, was a lot of short passes. It was a lot of... That's why Josh Allen's completion percentage was as crazy as it was. They really just said, okay, we're going to dink and dunk all over this team. We're going to work the small ball. We're going to play a lot of screen passes, a lot of short, shallow routes. You tried to get away from this downfield passing game that I, I it's almost like, hey, we're going to zig when they zag and hope it works. But you throw some of these plays in there and you have to question whether or not they've even run them in practice before. Am, am I am I crazy for being frustrated by that? Um, I think, you know, screens are an obvious answer to a blitz heavier team like the Saints. You need to be able to mix those in there. Um, I don't know if you know, uh, realize this, uh, Reggie Gilliam went out early in the game with an yes, ankle injury. I did. So he that. wasn't available as an option in there. I think that he would have been a logical one later on. You saw the one screen at the end of the half that Matt Breida messed up, ended up kind of getting him benched for a moment. Um, in the, or it seemed like it. I don't, I guess they didn't officially say that, but it sure seemed like they skipped him through most of the third quarter. Um, that play that ended up being the called back touchdown that went to Dawson Knox. That was supposed to be a screen to Breida. All the linemen went left. Breida didn't go with them, so there was nowhere to go. They threw the ball to Knox for a touchdown, but their linemen were downfield because they were expecting a screen. Um, so that kind of play, you know, is that a bad play call by Dable? You know, it's uh, the. Breida didn't go to the right spot. He didn't go to where he was. Later on, they run it again. He scores a touchdown on it on a 23-yard touchdown. Obviously, worked pretty well that time. Um, so sometimes it's it's really hard, even for someone like myself who tries to re I rewatch every game three or four times. I go through the coaches' film. I, I watch everything there. It's really tough to parse between execution and play call. 
how much is at fault for each one. Um, you know, it, Brian Dable certainly is not having some, you know, just amazing season. But again, there are certainly pieces here where we're seeing the the one interception was just a miscommunication between Diggs and, and Allen. You know, Allen expected him to have inside leverage and lean in. He kind of leaned out. That happens. That's not a bad play call. That's not, you know, there. That's just a miscommunication in a, in a bad play. It's really hard to parse between there. I do think that there's more Dable could do. But, you know, we've debated this all the time, and it was the crux of our, our bet last year. I think that there's a there's some subconscious piece of coordination where people can have it in their minds that, oh, I can predict what they should do more easily than, oh, I would have done this if I was the running back. Because you can't put, I can't put myself in that Rita's position because I know I can't physically do what they do, but we kind of convince ourselves that, oh, I could sit there and point at plays on the play sheet. I play Madden. I know what I'm supposed to do. Um, We convince ourselves that we could be better coordinators than we could quarterbacks or cornerbacks or linebackers or running backs. So we always have kind of have it in our head that, well, I know what would have worked on that play. That one was dumb. Um, And it's, you know, there's still a lot of randomness to the sport. So uh, another thing, and again, this is just my – before we move off of Brian Dable, because I feel like I'm really kicking this guy in the teeth today, and, and, and a game where he scored, and it sounds fucking absurd for a guy who, I mean, for a football team that scored 31 points. So I understand that there's listeners right now who are just like, Jesus Christ, Drew, you, you got to move on. On first down, our love affair with the run. This is, I get it. They're the you know, one of the top run defenses in football, but they're missing some of their best defensive ends. You'd like to think that you could make a little bit of hay against them, but I feel like going into this game is where you'd want to be a little more selective. I'm looking at it right here. I've got the chart. So on first down, we ran for it a bunch. Like we ran the ball on first down 14 times, or at least tried to run the offense through our running backs on small, short developing. I think we threw one pass and we ran a bunch. And I'm looking, especially in the second half, in that third quarter where they actually scored, and you go, wait a minute, okay, the Saints scored, they're finally on the board, maybe this becomes a game if we can't if we can't answer. I've got one, two, three consecutive first downs where Devin Singletary's given the ball, he goes, no, yard, no game, negative five yards, two yards. So obviously they're not all the same drive, but it's one of these things where if you see that that's not working, but you're still running Singletary on first down every time, it almost feels like you're trying to shoehorn it in at this point rather than you genuinely believing it's a smart play call. Yeah, it's – I don't like early down runs. I think that um, Warren Sharp's a guy that I, I believe a lot in and, and certainly uh, support. He talks through that people somehow turn analytics into always pass, never run. That's not the case. There's lots of times where running the ball makes sense. Um, It makes sense in short yardage. It makes sense in the red zone. Uh, It makes sense when you have a chance to convert um, and it's a higher likelihood to be able to do that. You know, I think that having a really heavy lean to early down play action is very valuable um, you see that in some of our most productive plays. I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to shoot the second and long runs to the moon. <laughs> I, I, I would like to never see those. 
it's not a hundred to zero. Like you need to run the ball sometimes to keep teams honest. We are already one of the pass heaviest uh, offenses in the league. So I get it that they need to do it sometimes. I'd still like to see the mix of when they use it better. I think some of the plays you referenced were a little bit in the four minute zone where they were kind of running the clock out a bit. Um, but there are still plays that I, I'd like to see it more smartly utilized than what they have. Oh, no. You're talking about second long runs? I'm looking at the chart right now. So they ran three, they ran three of them last night. Uh, well, actually, yeah, no. They ran three of them last night. And when it was second long, second and 10, second 11, second and nine, uh, we go negative three yards, four yards, negative two yards. Like, this isn't yeah. – that's not good. Like, that's – what – what – even the best case outcome, you know, <laughs> second and 11, a six yard run is a really good run in the yeah. grand scheme of things. If you get a six yard run on second and 11, it's still third and five. Like it's yes. not that great. Well, that's what um, we were talking and about. That's, your, that's a really positive outcome. I want my really positive outcome to be a first down. I thought Chris was going to leave because after the Dawkins holding call, Dawkins gets called for holding. So we run two yards off guard because Ike Bakker, you know, he's this stud. He, he's he, him, him and Quentin Nelson, right? You're going to confuse the two of them sometimes when you see him. Like, oh, th- that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so we run behind guard. We get a two-yard gain because Bakker whiffs his block. And then they throw this really nifty route to Beasley, who does a really good job of getting open, gets a little bit of yak. But it's still third and six. It's still third and six. And if it isn't for Emmanuel Sanders having the veteran savvy to get his hand down and not let those knees touch the turf until he reaches over the line, we're punting again. That's incredibly frustrating to watch when you go, okay, that's your answer is the, the, the two yard run off a guard that you know is bad. I mean, I'm just I was frustrated about it all night. And I guess that leads me to my next question that I have for you, or at least the thesis, theory, idea, drunken ranting, whatever you want to call it, that this offensive line simply isn't good enough to play against some of the NFL's, I would say, more evenly talented front sevens, playoff caliber teams, if you will. Now, that's something that was floating around in my head, and I know I was on social media banging the drum, and some people told me to go about it last night and said what an embarrassment they are and some people told me i needed to go to bed that i needed to eat a sandwich and sober up all of which were probably true by the way i'm I'm willing to say fair fair across the spectrum fair across the spectrum but when you look at the way this team operates especially in a game like this the fact that cody ford is your highest rated pass blocker that's probably not great because he's not great And the fact that whenever Spencer Brown isn't in the lineup, it's such a glaring, like you see failures across the line. And if it's like if a rookie means that much to your offensive line, that's probably not good for your long-term chances, right? So people keep throwing that around like it's some huge indictment of like, well, man, if a third-round rookie is is some linchpin here, like, yeah, yeah, that kind of happens. I I don't. It's simply at no point coming into this year did anyone look at this team and say, oh, don't worry. The linchpin of this team is the strength of the offensive line. We knew that that was the least good part of the team coming in. And then we've had injuries on top of it. 
well, yeah. So thank God we stumbled into a reasonably ready to go, um, you know, third round rookie who's able to play, but it's, it's something that we certainly need to be able to understand the impact of and getting him back in there um, is, you know, an important part of the offense. Daryl Williams actually played pretty well last night. Him moving back over to uh, guard is even better. Um, getting Feliciano back in there isn't some huge upgrade, but he's at least steady and probably more trustworthy sure. than Botger. It gets the line back to an acceptable level where it's not a problem. And that's, um, I, but I they're just, doing the best they can while guys are hurt. Well, and I get that, but here, and I guess this is where the manic fan in me, I, I understand Chris, hang on. This is where the manic fan in me gets frustrated. I'm just going to run it down. And I want to see if you think I'm being crazy. When I look at this and I say to myself, okay. And I think Joe Miller, I have a screenshot of a tweet of his here. It uh, it's one of these things where when you look at what's coming down the line, you've got Ed Oliver. Now he's going to need a fifth year option or an extension of some kind, which I I, I don't know what they do on that front. Tremaine, Tremaine Edmonds is going to he's on his fifth year option. Dawson Knox final year of his contract next year. Stephon Diggs is going to probably want a new contract. You're looking at money that you have to try to navigate coming down the pipeline. There was there's a Super Bowl window here for this team, even knowing that like because Josh Allen's money hasn't really come in yet, like those big dollar years haven't gotten here yet. So you have a window. And so to know that in the offseason, Brandon Bean didn't really address the offensive line that much. You know, he threw some rookie, he threw some draft capital for some rookies at it. But ultimately, we ran it back with the same group of guys. And it now when you're seeing these issues, I, real quick, up, I, I would just I think it's OK to question how he addressed it. He did address. Yes, it. he signed three players and drafted two more. We don't think he did the right players. Well, signing three free agents and two and having two draft picks, you know, three of your two of your top four draft picks is addressing it. People just don't think that he addressed it with the right people. Well, fair. And part of the thing that I'm screaming into the ether about is I'm on Twitter just badgering our offensive line is because I'm seeing this in my head going, okay, you drafted for you, you flat out said, hey, our first round pick is going to be for next year. And then you, when Creed Humphrey's on the board, you opt not to take him and instead you double dip at defensive end. Now, at the time, we said, okay, fine. If you think that this offensive line is going to be great, then that's a savvy move. In retrospect, you're starting to look at it and you go, well, wait a minute. So you passed on a, a, a whatever what he believed was going to be a quality offensive lineman. I, I, I'm i going to stop you for there for a second. Yep. Everyone does this in every single draft. Okay. Yes. All right. The guy who ended up being really good, <laughs> okay. we should have freaking drafted him. So, so, Guess what? If we had taken DK Metcalf in the second round, well, no crap. Two teams. Well, yeah. Every single team in the league. Passed on him twice. There were five other receivers taken before him who sucked. There were six other offensive linemen taken before Creed Humphrey who all sucked. Yes, the guy who ended up being good that every team in the league passed on twice. Yep, we should have taken that one. Did you know Tom Brady went in the sixth round and and teams passed on him six times? Did you know we could have taken Tom Brady five times? Yeah, no shit. This is why the the good guy who everybody knew was going to be good. No, you didn't. Everybody didn't know he was going to be good. People who everybody think are going to be good bust all the time. All the people who told me, all the players, oh, we should go take this guy. Yeah, he's terrible now. 
Like, yes, <laughs> I, I, people lean into that all the time. Yes, everybody and their mother was going to take Creed Humphrey. Well, guess what? Every team in the NFL passed on him twice. Uh, it's, yeah, no shit. That would have been great. And this is why I like talking to you, because we, we need another. We need a reasonable human being to try to reel me back in from outer space every now and again when I'm just off kilter yeah. out there. So we've got some breaking news. As we were discussing this, my phone goes off, and it's been confirmed that Trey White did, in fact, tear his ACL. He is done for the season, literally as of just a few moments ago, and that actually brings me to the last hot take of the night that I feel like I want your opinion on. I gotta... I gotta... gotta, You got plenty of fresh beers to choose from. I know. I'm going to open another one because this is just, wow. All right. That that sucks. So rolling around in my skull is this concept that the season's over if Trey White's season ended last night. And just to, to kind of elaborate on that just a little bit so you can understand why in the moment last night I was so maybe, maybe again, I use, keep using the term manic about it, but... Now it's this reality that I guess we're going to have to we're going to have to face. So let's talk about it here. When you watch your top cover corner, who's an all pro type talent go down like that. I think to myself, the Baltimore Ravens lost Marcus Peters in the early, 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 early. I think it was in training camp before the season even started. It's now 12 weeks into the NFL season, and they have not yet really recovered, and maybe you just don't. Like, they're a good secondary. I mean, Mar- Marlon Humphrey is no slouch. Uh, you, you, get, you get guys like, I don't even know if Jimmy Smith is still healthy and playing, but I know he's talented. They, they have big physical cornerbacks. They've got Anthony Everett, who also went to Alabama, who is Okay, he's not a world beater, but he's okay. He's an above, a slightly above average NFL cornerback. And their pass defense has been pretty brutal, and it's actually been key to some of their losses this season when they play good football teams. I mean, Miami, Miami embarrassed them last uh, two weeks ago passing the football. They, they it, 12 weeks into a season, a good coach like John Harbaugh and a great defensive coordinator couldn't figure out how to make up for the loss of that all-pro type talent because the reality is maybe you can't. So for a team like Buffalo, how do we do it? Because when you look at it, I mean, cornerback two is a shake. It's something that the fan base fights about. How the hell do you go about replacing cornerback one? You don't. I mean that's that's the best way to say it. You just you don't. So what yeah. you're saying is I, I, we should flip these tables right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean no one's gonna feel bad for the Bills. Their schedule still stays the same. We still got to play the same teams. The rest of the games are still going to go on, and you're not going to make up for Trey White being out. You're not. No free agent signing this spring was going to change that. No draft nope. pick made this nope. spring was going to change that. There was no player on the docket who was readily available, who was like, oh, good. Now we don't have to worry about losing Trey White. At no point was that ever an option. If, you know, if the Chiefs lose Travis Kelsey, there's no backup plan for that. There's no like, oh, what do we do with the scheme now to change that, to to be able to knock it out? If, you know, if 
you know, those critical linchpin, the the Chiefs defense before Chris Jones was back and playing well. If you take TJ Watt off the Steelers defense, yeah, when you have fantastic players who are phenomenal scheme scheme fits, who are excellent individual talents, and you remove them, it has an irreparable impact on the roster. We are going to now have an irreparable impact on the roster but they're still going to play the rest of the games. Yep. That's how it's going to work. We have a very good remainder of the secondary. We have one of the best nickel cornerbacks in the league. We have the best safety tandem in the league. I think that that can provide options that we can minimize the impact. Um, Some of the exotic looks that we've seen in their ability to disguise coverage, we will lose some of that because a lot of that was the ability to isolate Trey White and to leave him out in space. But there are things that we've had available to us to use Micah Hyde as a safety blanket that we now can utilize more often. So Dane Jackson, with help from Micah Hyde, is a passable scenario in the NFL. Um, You're going to have to have we didn't have a solution for the Tyree kills of the world already. It was always going to be bracket. Well, bracket coverage still works with Dane Jackson or Levi Wallace. Cause you were already bracketing them. You weren't leaving them isolated out in space. We already had what we most often see is like the Devonte Parker issue. Yeah. We already had the Julio Jones issue of, yeah, we don't have guys who, when you have phenomenal physical specimens lined up one-on-one are just going to win contested catch. Trey White wasn't that guy either. We were just dependent on outstanding technique coverage, able to knock balls away. We're now just going to need to keep plays in front of us, play in that same shell. We're going to need the defensive line and, and the breakout we're seeing from Ed Oliver to really increase. We will probably need to see more, Blitzing, which brings variance where that can be a good thing, but it also can open up some of those deeper shots and some of those bigger plays. The Bills didn't all of a sudden now become some terrible defense and, oh, God, we're screwed now. Everything's going to be a disaster. If you have a secondary where the back seven has coverage pieces of Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds, Taron Johnson, Micah Hyde, and Jordan Poyer, we're still going to be okay. Like This is still going to be a, a above-average solid coverage unit. We just now are no longer a top five coverage unit anymore because we lost the most important piece there's no making up for that i brought it up to drew last night i was the rest of the way on our schedule outside of tom brady i don't see any quarterback with the ability to exploit trey white being out i don't think that's crazy uh people will be concerned this coming week you know so now it's all of a sudden okay now i'm worried mac jones and Nelson Aguilar. If Mac, if Mac either. Jones was going to roast you through the air, you already lost. It's yeah, done. it, it didn't yeah, matter. So this doesn't change that because that's not who the Patriots are. Yeah, th- there's going to be pieces of this where yeah, that was already going to be our middle against their middle. Their their threats are the running backs out of the backfield, Hunter Henry, Janu Smith. That was going to be safeties and linebackers already. It still is. Um, and that you know, I, Jacoby Myers might get loose for one that he wouldn't have before. Um, but overall, I'm not terribly concerned with it. Um, yeah, Brady is the only one the rest of the season uh, scheduled games. It obviously brings into question concern 
with Mahomes in the playoffs and, and what that'll do. But oh, um, we'll cross sure. that bridge when we get to it. Well, that's it. And that th- there's nothing else you can do. I mean, for me personally, uh, I wish I had a pillow. I wish this was like uh, Anthony Cumia at the uh, at the Borgata. Just they literally bring him a pillow to the blackjack table so that when he spends twenty one thousand dollars on a hand of blackjack and loses, he can scream into it. That's kind of what I want to do right now. Um, <laughs> that's that's kind of how I feel in this moment. Like I just feel yeah. like I lost. I feel like I lost something significant, something tangible, something real, and it bothers me. Like it it kind of hurts because. I know that there's going to have to be a regression. And to to your point, it's just going to be different. It's all going to be different. Now, what are the odds? This is something that we talked about last night, Chris. Well, what are you going to do now? Pressure. We talked uh, pressure from our front seven. Now it becomes paramount. And this concept of, hey, get there with four. Do it with four. (sighs) How much harder does that become when you look at the makeup of our front seven? Because I feel like a lot of it without blitzing was always going to kind of be predicated on great coverage. Yeah, it, it it's certainly the, you know, the, the, the kind of thesis of the Frazier McDermott system. So I don't expect them to all of a sudden become old Jim Johnson in Philadelphia blitzing 80% of the time, old Dick LeBeau. Like they're not all of a sudden going to just change everything about their scheme. They're going to trust their scheme. They're going to give Dane Jackson more help. Um, I don't think it's out of the question that they try the free agent market. Um, You know, Quentin Dunbar is a knucklehead, but is super talented. Could you trust that your locker room can kind of insulate him for a band-aid run? Here at the end, you know, I think he was brought in for a workout before he's out there. You know, at one point he was a top five corner in the NFL. And then, you know, just some light armed robbery. <laughs> That's no what I was going to say. I'm like, you, you um, might have been involved in some gun. Yeah, yeah there be, may or may not held up a card game at oh, gunpoint. Allegedly. 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 But the, you know, it ultimately we kind of are what we are here. And I think that we will see them turn up the pressure a bit, but it's not going to pivot to the other end of the spectrum and just become some crazy, you know, Dick LeBeau system where we're blitzing, you know, 70% of the time. It's just not how we operate. No, no, no. Um, We do need to see, I mean, Mario Addison has flashed, Ed Oliver's flashed. We need to see more from Greg Rousseau. We need to see more from AJ Epineza. We have to see, you know, I I like the pressure from Jerry Hughes. We're going to need him to get home. That's it. It's it's I, I'm I'm genuinely sitting here wondering to myself if this isn't time, like if it's not time for all of these exotic packages that they talked about, because we never had the ability to line up any yeah. kind of exotic pressure packages in the past. Yeah, now give me those have, double A gap. Yeah, you know, now we have an FA Obata. Now we have an FA Obata who can line up over guard and center that we didn't have before. And you can line up a Greg Rousseau on the inside, and you can put a Mario Addison and a Jerry Hughes also out there and form kind of a NASCAR package. I think that's what the Giants called it back when they had uh, Osu Manura, Justin Tuck. Um, back when they had those, those and Michael Strahan, they called it the NASCAR package, and they said, look, we're going to just put our fastest, biggest, <laughs> strongest linemen out there and let them go to work on some slower interior linemen and see what happens. Um they're going to have to. They're going to have to find ways. I guess 
this game, if nothing else, gives me a little bit of confidence. If I want to end this our segment with you here on a high note, all of the personnel changes that took place in this game, all of the different usage patterns and things we saw, it's if anything, it tells me that this coaching staff is at least open to the idea of utilizing players differently, doing things differently, if it if whatever is the status quo isn't working. In that way, I want to believe that they're at least willing, given that we have a defensive coordinator for a head coach, and that we have a very good defensive coordinator already on the staff, that they can cook up something in the front seven to help alleviate the pressure on the back end of our defense. Am I crazy for having faith in that? No, not at all. Um, I think that at least the moves we saw here were a willingness to try new things. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, accuse Bean <laughs> and McDermott of being loyal to a fault and not being willing to pull the trigger on things. I like to see, you know, benching three starters, giving other guys a shot, including two of them who were practice squad players. Um, I think that it's something where, at least there's a willingness to try those things. And now I think it's reasonable to think we're going to see that in some scheme shifts and that can we see, again, people should temper their expectations. This is not all of a sudden going to become some vastly different offense, some vastly different defense and just completely change our colors. But can they mix in some things we haven't seen to this point? Do they have some things that we've been holding back because, you know, if you want to say they haven't had to, uh, you you can kind of use that as as a thing because of the the teams we played and some of the lackluster offenses we've gone against. Um, but now, do they have a couple of things in their pocket that they can, you know, start to mix in and bring more forward? I talked about the double A gap blitz. We saw a lot of that last year. You mug Milano and Edmonds right up there on each side of the center. The quarterback doesn't know who's coming. Uh, more of that. More of those exotic looks where. Um, Pressure doesn't have to mean blitz. When you say it's bringing four, the key is don't let the offense know which four are coming. It can be Taron Johnson off the edge. It can be Jordan Poyer coming from the safety. It can be Milano and Edmonds right up the A-gap. And then, yes, that means you're potentially dropping Ed Oliver back into coverage. You're potentially dropping Mario Addison back into coverage. Those are not long-term sustainable things you want. But if the pressure gets home – it can work. That's what I want to see more of where they can still have seven back in coverage, but you don't know which four are coming. I'd like to see more exotic looks there. Well, Greg, obviously I think uh, I'm going to go pour one out for our old boy, Trey white. No, I'm wishing him a speedy recovery. I'm sure you yeah. will as well at some point here in the near future. Very much. So uh, I'm going to pour myself a drink and probably cry a little bit here. Uh, you know, I think we all, knew this in the bottom of our stomachs last night, non-contact, his emotional response going back to the the room. We were all just praying that, hey, sometimes when it looks significant, it's less severe than what it ends up being. It ends up being some other piece of it and that maybe there was some MCL issue and he could be back in three to four weeks. Um, You know, we were kind of grasping at hope in, in that standpoint. This is one that looked not great from the beginning. We've now found out it wasn't great. You know, and certainly just pray that he has a full recovery because now you're talking about a timeline that jeopardizes even the beginning of next year. So uh, a guy that's critical to the long-term health of this organization, we need him to have surgery, get right, 
have him back in the future. Uh, but we got to learn to live without Trey White for the time being. It's it's going to be an interesting this an interesting season and a critical feeling one just got a lot more interesting. Thank you for being on air with us when this whole thing broke. Just to kind of help me cope, because I'll tell you what, yeah. my my knee jerk reaction was to slam this IPA sitting here next to me. I chose not to because I'm being an adult. I still may. I don't know how long that holds up. I don't know, <laughs> but I I do uh, want to say that I don't think people realize how amazing an example it is where people always try to tell you that it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what kind of person you are. The things people have seen from you, children change everyone. There is no better example in the universe than seeing you as a new father. And it's been amazing to see. I've enjoyed it. Uh, and even, uh, you know, the crazy hardened heart that people have seen from you has been softened just a bit by, by young Jack. So I'm uh, I'm thankful for his presence in the world. The Grinch's heart grew, uh, well, what, three, four, five sizes that day? Uh, Three sizes that day. Greg, I love you. Thanks for taking your time. Where can people find you on social, and where can they find all of the great Cover 1 content you guys are pumping out over there? Yeah, come on over. Check me out at Greg Thompson. Find us at Cover 1, Cover1.net. Our YouTube channel is the best place to find us. We have shows for you, uh, almost two shows a night, every night, all week long now. We're we're there for you all the way through this stretch run. Uh, And like I said, it's not great that the bills are without Trey white. Don't let anybody tell you it's okay. Or it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. However, the schedule is still out there. They're going to play these games and the Buffalo bills are going to figure out a way to do that. It does not mean the season is over. It just got a little bit harder. Greg Thompson on Twitter at Greg Thompson. Also follow cover one on Twitter at cover one. So that's it, Chris. No more Trey white. No more Trey white. You've got an offensive line. That's uh it's like if they were a boat, they'd be taking on water and you'd be trying to bail them out. Well, we talked about it a little bit last night. The Tom Brady is the only one of the quarterbacks we face the rest of the way where I he can absolutely take advantage of Trey White being gone. I mean, next week we play the Patriots. Belichick could absolutely scheme to take apart Trey White being gone, but... I'm not really sure I trust Mac Jones to execute it. I don't trust. They don't trust Mac Jones to throw more than 10 yards downfield. Well, if you ask Ryan Clark, <laughs> he's the greatest quarterback ever. Ugh. It's it's the Ryan Clark on Mac Jones is the equivalent of Mike Harrington on Ryan O'Reilly when they won the Stanley Cup. <sighs> Mike Harrington just thinks Ryan O'Reilly's the greatest hockey player. Not only the greatest hockey player ever, he's like... He's better than Gretzky, better than Mother Teresa, better than Christ, which is the exact same way that Ryan Clark views Mac Jones. He's the greatest rookie we've ever seen. God, I can't wait to get my hands on this fucking kid. I can't wait till the Bills defense can get their hands on him, even without Trey White. Let's let's go. But no, it's it stands to reason that we are we're in uncharted territory here. We've never had to play without. Think about how durable Trey White's been. He hadn't been injured his whole. Well, outside of that, you know, Macho Man elbow he got from Rob Gronkowski, and he didn't miss the next game. Yeah, so he. We've never been without Trey. We don't know what this team is without Trey. So well, we get to see how good Dane Jackson is. But the sun's going to rise. Those games, to Greg's point, the games are going to come. We're going to play him. Now we're going to find out just how good our coaching staff really is. 
and it it's going to take something special this year in order for them to realize the potential of what this football team could have been without him. Josh Allen is going to have to be the guy who shoulders a lot of that. He's going to have to shoulder the load for not just the whole offense, but at this point, maybe the entire roster, a la Patrick Mahomes. He did it last night, and that's why he's this week's hero of the game. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. In this game, Chris, it was painfully obvious which quarterback was the better player. And that's the kind of performance you need to see from the future of your franchise. The downfield stuff just wasn't in the playbook this week. It wasn't. And Josh responded by posting his most accurate day as a passer when he's had more than 20 attempts. 84% is absurd. And yet, Chris, is anybody in the press crowing about it? Let's all talk about Mac Jones, though. He literally played the Mac Jones game and did it better than Mac Jones does it. Now, let's talk up that guy. Ah, Jesus Christ. He did have his first red zone interception wrapped up in all of that. What do you think happened on that play? I don't have it in me to go back and look at it. I, I just don't. Josh Allen's red zone inter- interception? I mean, it, it looked to me. You it's and me were simple. He got this. hit. No, no. When he was staring down the receiver and threw. Okay. So, so the red zone interception. Red zone interception. Oh, yeah. That was when Cole, yeah, his arm Deion got Dawkins, hit. Again, back to our conversation about people screaming into the ether about the offensive line. Deion Dawkins gets pushed directly back into the quarterback, hits Josh Allen's arm. Yeah. Interception. Yeah. Well, the other one, Greg talked about it, and you're even last night I saw it, and you, you're just – I don't know what it is about you. You're just failure to not see things clearly as the game happens or when I say something, like whatever I just said devalues what actually happened. <laughs> like Allen was through inside, should have thrown outside. That's why it was picked. It just happens the safety broke inside. If he threw outside, might have been a tough completion. I know you, you, you fail to to see that in the moment. And plus, when I say that, and I'm 100% right about it, you, it <laughs> devalues it somehow because I said it. It drives me crazy. Yeah, it's like it's not like I'm not an, I'm not I'm not X's and O's guys, but I'm watching the game and I see him throw inside. Maybe should have been outside, you know, three feet. That might have changed things. <laughs> And even with all of that, 84% completion percentage, 260-something yards. When you look at Josh play the way he did last night, even having what you would call in those moments, hey, he had two bad plays. Did it? Did Trevor Simeon look worse because he was on the field with Josh Allen? I'm better than Trevor Simeon at quarterback. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it did. I mean, he sucks. Yeah, I'm better than him. I've got a Tim Tebow release, and I'm better than him. (laughs) Here's what I'll say. It made it look more glaring that he's sharing a field with Josh Allen. I mean, what about the play? So Trey White gets hurt. He goes off the field. They come out after the long timeout. 
The very next play, Trevor Simeon is going to try to attack Dane Jackson. It's obvious that's the play call because he stares at him the entire time. Almost to the point where Ed Oliver ends his life. Oh, yeah. Ed Oliver almost killed Trevor Simeon because he was so set on, well, if they're bringing in this rookie, no, the coaches told me this guy's a rookie. I got I to gotta go at him. And he stared him down the entire way. How do you not see a, an almost 300-pound man coming to murder you? I have no idea. <laughs> I just Trevor Simeon's not that good. Oh, the dropping back too too far for your tackles to protect you, just being intimidated by the everybody. I mean, it was just a bad game, and I feel like it's one of those things where you, it, in a normal like if they were playing the Jets and he had that game, it wouldn't look quite so bad because you'd be getting equally crappy quarterback play on the other side. We're lucky enough to have a quarterback who's so good that even when he has what some people would call a bad game, you know, four touchdowns and two picks. Oh, yeah, that wasn't Josh Allen's best performance. Yeah, he still embarrassed the guy on the other sideline. That guy, if I was his coach, I'd fire him just on default because I'd look across the sideline and go, that's that's what a quarterback should look like, and I don't have that here. So I got I to gotta find something else. It's, it's just bad. And throw in the fact that Josh Allen was two yards shy of being our rushing leader in the game, he literally puts everybody on his shoulders. And now he's going to have to continue to do so. It's wild. It's wild, but last night he's the reason we won that football game. And then there's the zero of the game, which for once I went outside and I didn't name a Buffalo Bills player or anyone on the Buffalo Bills team. I I flirted with the idea of giving it to Brian Dable. I flirted with a lot of ideas. I almost thought about giving it to Chris for bailing on me when you knew I was manic. Although, honestly, for you, that's probably the best decision, right? Yeah. You don't want to be around when I'm in slipknot mood. No. Like, that's not reasonable. There's no reasoning with that idiot. Ugh, the Jekyll and Hyde nature of <laughs> who I am. No, I gave it to Saints head coach Sean Payton. Fucking embarrassing! There's a line from an episode of Eastbound and Down that... I couldn't help but think of last night while I was watching this game. Chris, if you would do me the honor. Honey, I love you. I think you're a terrific girl, but you have clothes like a fucking dickhead. That's that's how I felt about Sean Payton. Sean, you're a great coach. Everyone in the NFL respects you. You're known as being one of the stronger offensive minds in football. But man, do you have play calls like a fucking dickhead. Chris, the fourth and two attempt. How hilariously bad was that? Yeah, the fake punt was even worse. Well, on the fourth and two, early snap by the Saints, the left guard doesn't move. And when he and when he does, he just stands there like an idiot with his hands up going, wait, wait, we're doing the play? Yes, people are running around you. This is happening. It's happening in real time. Men are running past you. He just puts his hands up. You're, I mean, you're the coach. You know that your offensive line has been shuffled. You know that your center is getting his ass kicked by Ed Oliver. But you're going to go for it on fourth and two and then call a, a, like what, a sweep play? It was like a long developing run that was supposed to go to the left side of the line where the guard didn't know he was supposed to block anyone. 
It's hilarious. I mean, I get it. Even if they had Ingram and Kamara, that play was doomed. The fake punt pass. It was fourth and eight. Chris, do you know that 93% of all fake punts occur from inside of fourth and three or shorter? Did not know that. Yeah. Not fourth and eight. Not fourth and eight. (laughs) And it's your punter. Some guy named Blake Gillikin throwing to an even lesser known player named, and I'm not making this up, Lil Jordan, L-I-L apostrophe capital J-O-R-D-A-N, Lil Jordan Humphrey. I never heard of half of these guys. Nor should you. They're clearly not good football players. Chris, isn't that if you were going to be the head coach of a football team and you were going to go for a fake punt, would you do it in a moment where you knew you needed that many yards? Probably not. I mean, like like if you're asking your punter, like, okay, perfect example. Alabama got scored on this past weekend when they were. It was a what was it? It was a punter, a field goal attempt, and nobody covered the linebacker. But it was like fourth and two, fourth and three, fourth and four, and they went for the field goal, and then they threw it to the tight end, and it still almost got brought down by the linebacker, but the linebacker went for the pick instead of tackling the player who was going to catch the ball. And it cost him a touchdown. Like That's what you can accomplish when you're doing it from four yards. When you're doing it from eight? Chris, you're tr- L- Lamar Jackson struggles to throw an eight-yard out. You're going to trust Blake Gillikin to do it. That just seems like a wild oversight. Yeah, and he wasn't even close. <laughs> he was that that ball was out of con- like it was so far over everybody. Kind of like we were joking about earlier with that tweet. It's hilarious. And I mean maybe he reads Football Outsiders. Maybe the article had some impact. They wrote an article this week and they detailed how he's been more conservative usually to his team's detriment, in moments where he gave up boatloads of game-win percentage points by punting or kicking field goals in this process of them going 5-2 and two and now being 5-5 five and five and now being 5-6. and six. So it seems fucking crazy to me that he would decide, after being conservative during all of these other losses, that in a game where he's missing most of his star power, where he has a shuffled offensive line, where... His team's getting beat like a drum. This is the time. It reminded me of the Jeff Fisher fake punt. It's just as ill-advised. Do you remember that all those years ago? But when it works, it's good stuff. Yeah, when it works, it's real good stuff. Sean Payton, you're better than that. You're better than Jeff Fisher. And yet last night, you put yourself directly in that category in my mind. Oh, I mean, just just knock it off. Your final thoughts, Chris. Tough win. Sucks losing Trey White. Uh, you know, it's the uh, the old saying, well, next man up. Well, that hasn't worked for the offensive line, so let's see how it works at CB1. My final thoughts, I mean, this is tough. Remember last night as we were getting ready to leave and I was pointing out the fact that when you looked at Allen's face, when he was on the sideline, he'd been pulled from the game. He didn't even look like he was having a good time. He didn't look excited. He didn't look like a guy who just had a dominant performance on primetime in front of the entire country. 
He's the whole goddamn show for the Buffalo Bills at this point, and I'm pretty sure he knows it. And I'm pretty sure the weight of Trey White's injury is kind of weighing on him. And it's a scary concept when you consider that any time an opponent's backed us into that philosophical corner, they've been able to beat us. When they've made Josh Allen feel like he has to be the backbone of this team, we don't respond well to that. He doesn't respond well to that. He tries to do too much instead of just trusting what's in front of him. How are we supposed to tell him not to do more of that now, Chris? I I don't know. You throw in the Trey Wet injury and the fact that literally everything that we do is going to have to schematically change on the defensive side of the ball. I guess not everything, but it's going to be different. Our defense is not going to be what it was without him. It's easy to see why some people would be upset. I mean, I was. But I'm a weird fucking animal. And if you're listening to this, then you probably are too. For me, what I don't know what it is. Small problems bother me more than big problems because big problems are insurmountable. They're mountains. It's like, look, you can't be mad at the mountain for existing. You just got to figure out a way to climb it. But when you trip and fall over a rock, you can get mad at that. (laughs) I guess I just, that's just how I'm wired. I just, I look at this football team and I say, okay, maybe Chris, maybe this is the humbling that this football team's needed because they've been cocky all year. And what has it gotten us? It's gotten us a couple embarrassing losses in just the last calendar month, right? Yeah. This idea that we can roll into any football game and just win. Just win. It, it doesn't work like that. I, I feel like... I don't know. I feel like the Bills are 2-0 with Josh Young at the helm on Thanksgiving. They came out and waxed an opponent who was after losing one of their star players, they emotionally rebounded in the middle of the game. They didn't let things unravel. They just filled and did their jobs. They they, they did it in impressive fashion, considering how they, they just smothered this team that's coached by a guy who's pretty well regarded, forced him to look like a bad coach. And they're going to need a whole lot of that going forward. So I guess here's the question. Do you, Chris, what's left to doubt? Do you doubt Josh Allen's will to try to get it done? No. Do you doubt that Diggs and Sanders aren't going to try to help him? No. Do you doubt that Poyer and Hyde and Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds aren't going to do everything they can to try to carry water for everybody else around them? They're going to do that. This team consists of guys on both sides of the ball who, like Spartan King Leonidas, would rather come home either holding their shield or on it. And that's a huge boon to us as the Buffalo Bills, especially with a coach like Sean McDermott, who, who has made a point in this game that he's willing to do whatever it takes to win. And he's challenging his players to do the same. We're going to need that fire. We're going to need that if this team can capitalize on any of the promise that this year was supposed to have. Things got harder, but it's not over. We're first place in the AFC East. I'll drink to that. Guys, we got to get the hell out of here. Thanks for showing up. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rock Pop Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.